Welcome to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome to Breaking the Silence, and welcome to my home here in the Medical Center at Houston, Texas, the most awesome city in the country, and I just love this place, and uh, welcome to the program tonight, and I promise you that if you invest a few minutes with us, we're going to give you some information that will be able to change your world next week, so you just want to make sure you write some of this stuff down. You will want to write down the contact information. <laughs> the website to be able to get some resources. But most of all, I just want you to right now just hop on your phones and text a few people, say, hey, you don't want to miss tonight's program, and it's live right now uh, for the next hour. So it's just going to be a great program this evening. I want to welcome um, everybody that's listening to us. We have some new people that's watching tonight and listening in, so I welcome them. And uh, each week we try to inform the world what's going on in the world. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's happening out there that we put a and take a blind eye to and look the other way and hope it goes away. And uh, tonight's going to be one of those issues that I believe it's so rampant, it's so evident that it's happening everywhere. There's not a community that this doesn't affect, and it's time that we not turn away, but we look at it directly on and figure out how we can actually help overcome it. And the only way to do that is to become united. And uh, this is going to be a program that you will not want to miss and probably will, will never forget. Uh, so take note of that. Um, you know, I always like to open up with just a few things, just a little short snippet of what's going on in my world and, and some things that I've been thinking about and maybe something that can help you go into next week. And I think when you're writing your own life story, I think it's important that you don't allow somebody else to hold on to your pen, that it's up to you to write it. Uh, you get to make the choices. You get to make the actions. You have the values and the dreams. And I promise you, if you don't build your dream, somebody else is going to pay you to help build theirs. And it's important that at least in my world, and I know in yours too, that when you start writing these sentences in your life, you get to be the one where you get to put a period at the end of that sentence or a question mark at the end of that sentence or an exclamation mark. This is going to be a great day, exclamation, 
awesome and go for it. And there are just a few ideas I want to share with you on how to write your story from this moment on, at least into next week, and to take control back. Possibly if somebody has started writing your story for yourself and you don't want them. And I think the first thing I want to just indicate to you that you need to find a passion that makes you come alive. Majority of the people that we have on, especially the people that in are in the champion uh, advocacy, uh, trying to prevent, have an inner passion that this is the reason they feel they were created. And in that passion, it automatically bleeds over into excitement. It automatically starts writing your own life story. So you have to find something in life that somebody else doesn't tell you to do, but that your inner spirit says, that's why I was created on the face of this earth for this moment in time. And it would be absolutely awesome if a few people, Tonight that are listening, and we're going all the way around the world tonight, a few people everywhere on every corner of the world would have that passion started igniting inside of them of saying, hey, wait, this is a problem. And you lean into it and you become passionate about it. And who knows, this may be your very purpose in life is to join forces with our guest with her organization, with so many other great organizations that's in Houston, that's in the United States, that's around the world that she's going to share with you tonight. Because the world needs people. And every great story about someone's life have characters that pursuit, to pursue things that they are excited about and they want to express them. So find something that you're passionate about. And then when you do, Work hard on that passion. A dream is your creative vision in your life for the future. And start creating that. Start making that. Start believing in that and welcoming that. And then change your path when you have to, but keep moving forward. So many people come across an obstacle, a speed bump, a hill or a mountain, and they go, oh, wait, this must not be what God wants me to do in life. You know, sometimes those mountains are for us to experience with God that we climb over or we simply go around and it's there to help us build more character or to show us where we need to go in the next step. But when people get to a mountain or to a speed bump or to a, a pothole in a road, they go, oh, wait, this is too tough. And they totally abandon what their life mission was. And we want to make sure that no matter what happens into your life, you keep on moving no matter what comes up in front of you. It's never going to be easy. It was never promised us that it was going to be easy. Our road in life is to be challenging. And all I got to say is I, I believe there's people out there that will help you during those rough times. And when somebody is in your inner circle going through a rough time, that's when we should rise up and say, hey, let me help you out of that. Let me help you through this. And that's how we end up building momentum as a team. Another one or two, and I want to get to our guests, but um, when the going gets tough, just keep fighting. 
keep fighting. If you believe that this is what you're called to do, if you have your passion in mind that this is the direction that God has called you to go in, then never stop fighting. Don't give up. Don't curl up in a ball. You keep on going. There's an old Frank Sinatra song that's called That's Life. And uh, no matter what I do, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. And that's exactly what we need to do. And the problem that we're going to talk about tonight is absolutely huge, but it's not insurmountable. It can be accomplished. If a few people on here tonight join forces with our, our guests and her organization and start loving and caring and opening our eyes and making a few adjustments in who we are and how we act and how we care, it can make a world of a difference. And the last thing is, before you can move forward, you got to let go of your past. The past is a place of reference, not a place of residency. And I think that's so important. We don't live in our past. It is a reference point from us. And when we endured and made it through, then the only way that I can know that I'm being who I need to be is I take all of that negative junk and I give it to God and I turn it into positive. Because what the devil meant to kill me and to keep me buried in my own despair and depression and suicidal thoughts and, oh, my, this happened to me all those years in life. And I started having a pity party. That's where the devil wants me. But when I turn it into something positive, it energizes me. It fuels my tank. It makes me who I need to be. And it puts the devil back into hell where he belongs. And it gets me to on the mountaintop of where God wants me to be. Look, I made it through this, and so can you. You can start where you can start the next chapter in your life if you keep rereading the last one. So you have to keep on moving forward. And it doesn't really matter who hurt you, who broke you, who buried you and tried to keep you down. What matters in life sometimes is who's making you smile again. So don't keep leaning into that bad stuff. Who's making you smile now? Who makes you feel good now? What kind of people do you want surrounding you that fills you with positivity? And that's how we're going to end up getting into a better week, a better tomorrow of just believing in each other. And I have to admit that our guest tonight, Susan Patterson, is one of my new friends. I uh, haven't known her for too many uh, months, but when I got to know her, it's like, wow, she has this passion. And her organization has this passion. And she is a victim of domestic uh, violence as a child. So she has her own dark story that she may want to share tonight, may not. We may have to have her come back on a pro another program. But the experience of that, I want you to hear this. The experience of that gave her a heart to protect other children from abuse which led her into being a national leader in the fight against human trafficking. And if you automatically go, oh, wait, this, this subject doesn't deal with me, never mind. I'm going to shut it down. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. 
it does deal with you. It's in every community. It's in every big town. It's right down here on the street below my penthouse, right? It's right here. And it's probably right in your neighborhood. But most importantly, there's people out there that's trying to capture and hook your children or your grandchildren. And if they're online, there's predators out there trying to connect with them to get them to be money makers for them. I promise you that. She is the author of two books that I'm going to highly recommend to you tonight. One particularly, but she is the author of How Can You Can Fight Human Trafficking? Over 100 Ways to Make a Difference. And this is the one that I really want to drill into the, to tonight. The Role of the Church in Ending Human Trafficking. She has been a, a speaker probably all the way around the world, but I know around this country to over 100,000 people. And she is the director of Through God's Grace Ministry that has some unbelievable events and unbelievable believable resources that you'll want to tap into. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program tonight, my friend, Susan Patterson. Susan, welcome to the show tonight. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you so much. I resonated so much with everything you said. I was just going, yes, yes. Awesome. You could have you could have probably done that uh, ten times more elegant. No, I like the way you did it. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) well, thanks for being here tonight. I I was thrilled to be on a project with you yesterday, and that was just so awesome. And we can talk about that maybe later on the show, but. I I just applaud you and the work that you do. So tell us, after my little uh, intro, what are you passionate about? Why have you been created, and how did you become passionate about this subject in such a way? Yes, well, I did. I in my childhood there was um, domestic violence, and my father had told my mother if she ever interfered, she'd be on the street with five children and no food. And he knew how to make that happen. So she had to stand there and watch her children being hit and whatever. And when my younger brothers and sisters, I was the oldest, were going to be hit, I would stand in the way and provoke him on purpose. So he would come after me. So I would be the one who would get thrown into a wall that knocked me out or thrown on the floor and kicked until I was black and blue all over with his rage. Um, And so, you know, that put in my heart to want to protect children from that kind of pain. And Human trafficking is the worst form of child abuse we have right now. So that, um, however, with that story, I don't want to go into too much detail because I want to talk about human trafficking tonight. At 15, I got him to stop, which gave me like this holy boldness to really go up to people, which is the first book, How You Can Fight Human Trafficking Over 100 Ways to Make a Difference, where I would call the head of, of Homeland Security for all of Southern California and say, I want to talk to you about what we can do. You know, I went to the Catholic Archdiocese. I said, you know, what what can the church do? They said, we, we're not sure. So I said, well, we have to figure this out because we ha- the, we're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. We need to mobilize our community. So I was just bold about it. I called directors of nonprofits. I called, and no one could really tell me what the, an individual, what could a housewife do? What could, you know, a teacher do? What could like that? Now we know. Now we know. But my book I wrote, uh, I think it was about seven years ago, uh, like that, which started that whole conversation. 
And if we can mobilize the community so everyone does their part, everyone, I, I know something everyone can do, a yoga teacher, member of the PTA, if we all did our part, we could end it. And with the church being the most important player in that, because 50%, close to 50% of people in this country go to church. So who's our front line to mobilize the community? Who have, plus God's the only one who's going to end human trafficking. So, you know, (laughs) we're not going to end it. He is. So we need the church. How, how big of a problem is this in the country? um, In the United States and in the world, it's the second largest uh, criminal enterprise. It's growing faster than drugs. A lot of people, you know, we're all aware of drugs. Contrary to popular belief, 80% of the people in this country who are victims of human trafficking are U.S. citizens. There's an assumption because of the border crisis that, you know, they're all being brought here. It's a foreign problem, which is putting people to sleep. Uh, During COVID, it increased by 400%. It is not getting better. It's getting much worse, much, much worse. One of the things the traffickers tell us is because of all the grooming through social media, songs, and everything else. It used to take months to trick a victim. Now it takes a few days. I mean, all over the internet, they portray prostitution as female empowerment. It's actually the worst form of exploitation of women. Um, I'm in Southern California where I am at the Macy's Parade, Thanksgiving Macy's Parade, the Lego float. So you have all these kids standing there, you know, Lego, Legos coming down the street. And the song they chose to sing, they got all the children to sing, was Shake Your Money Maker. So they're all shaking their butts, singing the song at the top of their lungs. That song is about prostitution. So they are so bold about, you know, teaching children. And, you know, I mean, it's all over the Internet. You could, There's so many videos. There's like YouTube everywhere. Be a pimp. We got 15-year-olds, we got surfers with long blonde hair, 15-year-olds pimping out their 14-year-old girlfriend saying, you know, hey, we need some money, babe, 15 minutes, $50, go for it. And that's what Homeland Security is telling me. And the parents have no idea. They have no idea what their children are involved in until it blows up in their face. They're online, they're pimping, their pimp teenagers are pimping themselves out, you know, because you can make really good money. You can make good money doing nude videos. So it's pretty rampant. And in families, the kids in their bedroom with the internet and the parents have no idea what's going on unless they've synced their child's phone to the cloud. They might, but even then children are clever. So they'll have their own Instagram account. And you know how when you log out, if you have more than one email address, if you log out and go to log back in, you see all your email addresses you can choose from. Well, parents need to do that with Instagram, log out. And when they go to log in, is there more than one account? Because these teenagers have these secret accounts where they're doing and looking at all kinds of stuff. So, you know, it's... If I, if I, I have a know, child in the in the bedroom at night going to, going to bed at nine o'clock to the room and right. probably not sleep until 11, 1130. So they're right. two hours, two and a half hours online on their phone, on the internet, surfing the web and all that. Right. How, what's the probability that somewhere down the line, they have been contacted more than once by some of these traffickers that are trying to hook them. One out of four children will be sexually solicited while online. 
in the U.S. Only 20% will tell their parents. If your child's in their bedroom and they're a boy, they're probably looking at porn, which creates all kinds of problems. Depression for one of them. One of the things people aren't aware of is that because uh, violent porn is the most stimulating to the brain. So that's what teenage boys are looking at. And what happens is when you overstimulate the brain that way, then the brain in order to protect itself reduces the number of dopamine receptors. So you experience less pleasure doing anything, eating, hanging out with friends or whatever. So you have all these depressed boys because they're looking at porn. And of course, you know, it, it's teaching them about sex in a very perverted way. I mean, my local high school, um, this 15-year-old boy and this 14-year-old girl had been dating for a year, decided they were going to, you know, have their first time. They had this nice dinner. And afterwards, she said, I've changed my mind. I'm not ready. He hit her and raped her. And after she reported, when the police came to pick him up, he said, yeah, that's what happened. She said, no. So, you know, I hit her and I made love to her. Because in porn, what they show is that when a woman says no, she really means be aggressive about having sex with me. And she has the best organs, orgasms of her life if you if you come on to her that way. So here we have one sexual predator. You know, he got convicted. He confessed. And two victims, the boy and the girl, because they're learning about sex through porn. Girls, too. Unbelievable. Now, if we want to look at this from the viewpoint of the church, how many churches do you feel in a percentage wise? And I, I know this isn't, you may have this stat right there, but you may not. Um, percentage wise, how many churches are actively involved in trying to help prevent or heal the people that are currently in it or have been through it. What kind of percentage are we looking at that are actively involved in churches? All I can tell Southern California, I called 7,000 churches to find that out. I said, uh, are, are you interested in doing something about human trafficking? Come to my educational events, whatever. It took me about a year and eight months to do that. Wow. And pretty much 1% of churches were interested in where I, my county, Orange County, California, the Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force has done a tremendous job of doing outreach in the community, so it was 2%. But since COVID, um, I started a lot of ministries, Anti-Human Trafficking Ministries, um, about over half have closed down because we, they couldn't meet. And so right. now they're trying to get people together and they've gone on, you know, COVID last, you know, almost three years. So now we're all trying to regroup. And, you know, you talked about tough. I mean, I'm really rolling the rock uphill right now to try to re-engage them, which is why I wrote that book, which came out January 1, because I needed a vehicle that I could quickly and easily disseminate. And that book is the result of hundreds of conversations I've had with churches. What do churches want? They, they don't need to know everything about human trafficking. They're not community leaders. They want to know what can I do? How can I get started? using very little time and resources, which is how what that book sets one up to do. So I believe in chapter one, you have the five main reasons advantages. why you feel the advantages of the church. 
uh, being involved in this? What are some of those that gives the church the edge? Why wouldn't we? What are those advantages? Well, the church don't realize they have the edge. So one of them is that people from every walk of life attend a church. Right. So I have a flyer that they could have at an awareness event that has 14, that has trainings for 14 different professions. So now all those professionals, attorneys, doctors, um, you know, lawyers, can Uber drivers can all get trained. And now they have what they can do. I had a chaplain talk to me. He said, Susan, it goes, we think we're treating victims of human trafficking. We're not sure. And I said, so do they have a tattoo on their face? And they said, yes. I go, that's a victim of sex trafficking. What happens? They go, we treat them and we turn them back over to the person who walked in with them, which is probably their pimp. So, you know, they don't know what to do, but there's a whole training now that are available that's on that flyer. It's at my website. Um, and in the book, it talks about it on the um, uh, on the mobilizing your community tab. I have flyers. And then I have another tab that shows every website where they have free downloadable flyers. So if you want to have an awareness event or do something, there's plenty of resources. It took me years to find all this stuff, by the way. It took me years. You know, I, I read the ebook uh, version of both of your books, and the, the ebook was unbelievable in this area. I mean, when I finished the book, the last page, it went automatically to the flyer. I thought, oh, wow. Here it is right here. I could download it right on my iPad, take it to the office and print it off. And more than likely, well, I'll be having it at a church as a handout in the bulletin each Sunday. And just to have a pile of them there. So, hey, yeah. grab one of those on the way. Just a way of passing on information. What can we do? Right. Uh, so, so that's plus a, another advantage. That's a that's huge advantage. And, you know, 100% of victims will see, by the way, a health professional. So another advantage is we have the infrastructure. So I've done this with many churches. We have a woman's group, men's group, youth group, seniors group. We have many larger churches have community outreach. They have homeless ministries, prison ministries. We have this all this infrastructure that no other entity has. I can't think of any other entity that has that kind of infrastructure. So the woman's group can promote, um, you know, recruiting good foster parents. 70% of victims are from the foster care system. The men's group obviously can talk about reducing demand. They can talk about the dangers of porn, tell their friends, put it out there. The youth group, you know, where there's lots of things for them to do. I have a whole chapter on that and ways they can raise awareness, which keeps them engaged because they don't, if you, you've raised children, I have, you know anything about teens, they don't want to be lectured all the time. Don't go on the internet. Don't do this. So we engage them in raising awareness. They want to make a difference. So there's this great thing called freeze framing at a mall where they hold up signs and they freeze. You know, human trafficking is the fastest growing illegal enterprise and they turn their signs around. Fun stuff they can do. Um, our seniors group, you know, you're a senior. I'm a senior. We have all these executive skills from our life that we can, you know, organize a fundraiser. We can organize a drive for a nonprofit. We can put an awareness event together, help the church put an awareness event together. And then you have all your community outreach. And I have in my book um, working models like the Boston 10 point coalition where this church got together people in this community and the result of what this one church did reduced violent crime in Boston by 79%. That's wow. a miracle. 79%. 
And um, it's just an extraordinary story about what they just have all these working models for the community outreach people. Um, So, yeah, so there's so much a church has going for them. That's two. That's three. I mentioned God and um, I can't remember exactly the top of my head. I said there are five advantages. I can't remember the Uh, other two. Being able to recruit volunteers. Being able to recruit volunteers, sure, for the nonprofits. And the other thing, which we've already mentioned, is their size. They have the most influence of any other entity in this country. They really do. And it's just a matter of using that influence to change the narrative. So one of the narratives we already mentioned is that it's a foreign problem. When, when, you know, people care about if it impacts them. We know that it, you know, in, it's that and that 84% of who they consider to be prostituted people are actually victims of human trafficking. And for men to understand, because we've talked to men who are buyers and they think they're buying sex from a hot girl who loves it. And once they understand that if this girl didn't act like she was into it and a buyer complained, her trafficker would beat the crap out of her. So of course, now they're beginning to think, well, I could have been with the victim. I'm creating the demand. Maybe she wasn't into it. So it, it has them rethink this whole sex buying from, you know, what a great thing to do to, you know, this this is really not that cool. I tell you, I, I think the time is now. As a matter of fact, in my message this morning with my church family, I said, you know, I want you all to watch tonight because it's time that we stop just sitting. Yes. We are not we are not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. And I can't think of a better way to change and beautify our community as much as protecting our children, protecting the most vulnerable people outside of our church walls and love them like they've never been loved before and protect them. And we're gonna come back after this only commercial break that we have. I want to get into chapter two about the fastest growing form of sexual abuse. And then chapter four, chapter six, chapter nine, chapter 10. I, I have all of these after I've read it. So, oh, I want to ask her something about that. I want to ask her something about that. So hang with us, 888-627-6008. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can jump right on Breaking the Silence uh, Facebook page right now. We are live on there watching Curtis take care of that in a beautiful way. Uh, make sure you hang with us. We have this real short break, about a minute, 22 seconds, and we'll be right back. Hang with us. See you in a minute. From HCI Publishing, that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years, and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. 
welcome back. I'm just kind of scrolling through my phone. I got all kinds of texts of people saying, hey, wow, this is uh, great information to keep up the good work. So we're on a roll. We're, we're strumming heartstrings. Um, in, in your book, uh, don't don't go on and buy mine tonight, like the commercial just said. Go on and buy this one about how, uh, let me get the, the official name, The Role of the Church in Ending Human Trafficking. It's not a very expensive book. It's not a very long read, but it's an informative read. And I tell you what, the links that was attached into it, Susan, was beautifully done in the ebook. I could just hit it and it goes straight to it. And you have the resources are just tremendous. So thank you. I applaud you on the quality of that book. So I'm going to recommend that. I'm going to a United Against uh, Human Trafficking event on Tuesday. Uh, I'm going to mention that to everybody in that room. Uh, this is the, the book right now, in my mind, of the hour. And it's getting our clocks ticking. We need to do it now. If we don't do yeah. it now, where are we? Um, I was... It, it it intrigued me in chapter two that the fastest form of sexual abuse is what? Sex I never, I, that would have been number 10. Explain to us, old fogies, uh, what, because you've already told the whole world that I'm a senior. So I'll admit to that now. <laughs> what is sex torsion? Yeah, we're talking about the sextortion of minors. People think about yes. the blackmail for between two dating adults. It's not what we're talking about. Right. Happening in the pedophile community is they're in chat rooms. I mean, the FBI just took down one that had over 200,000 members. And what they do is they talk about how to trick little kids, seven years old, by the way, and wow. teens, and get them to make child porn of themselves, and then they sell it to each other is what they do. And they blackmail these children. What happens is, and this is the thing, I don't know any law enforcement officer who lets their child have a cell phone with access to the internet before the age of about 15, because they know about this. So they see them, you know, these children have these accounts or they find them, whatever, and they go, oh, you're, you know, you're adorable. You know, send me a picture, send me a picture without your shirt. Now they have co communication with them. They say, now I want you to, to do this and actually, you know, violate themselves, nude, all that stuff, and tell them if they don't send that to them, they're going to kill their family. And so, and if they tell anyone, they're going to kill their family and show this picture to everyone. So now you have this seven-year-old who has so much shame, so much pain. A friend of mine, her best friend. They didn't know their seven-year-old was being sextorted till their seven-year-old tried to commit suicide. I personally know three people whose families this has happened to. And yeah, and they're going for the teens. They succeed in committing suicide because of the shame. The little children don't, but I mean, they feel it. And, you know, this is the first sexual experience of a child. The damage that does to them for the rest of their life and it is the fastest growing form of sexual assault in the world and the U.S. 8,000 children a day in the U.S. You know, I, I, would have, I would bet you that 99 out of 100 people listening right now went, what? Yeah. How, how prevalent is this? You already have three people in your inner circle that you know. Has yeah, been well, affected by how, how, yeah. How that's because this? of oh. what I do. People are going to tell me where they may not tell you, but the I can tell you. The FBI issued a safety warning on December 19th 
of last year, only a few months ago, saying it's become so pervasive among t- uh, young boys playing video games. So what they'll do in that case is they think they're talking to a hot girl who flirts with them and she sends them a picture of her breast and says, now you send me a picture of your privates. So they they get them engaged that way and then they turn around and then this boy gets the most disgusting sexual solicitations from men all over the world who are looking at this on their phone and they can't tell anyone. They can't, especially boys, especially boys cannot tell anyone And this is the thing parents need to know is that if you find out this is happening, you have to calm yourself down because honestly, the fathers go ballistic because they they don't understand how incredibly clever these predators are. They don't. They think their son's just stupid. He's not stupid. They get together and talk about, you're talking about a gang of psychopaths talking with each other about how to trick kids, what has worked and not worked, your child doesn't have a chance. This is unbelievable. We have a a caller from Austin, Texas right now that has a comment or maybe a question, Susan. Uh, TJ, go ahead and bring her right on in, and we're just going to find out what she has on her mind, because I got a feeling you're poking hearts that thought that their kids could be safe. And if I was them, I would be grabbing cell phones and say, hey, let me look at this. Uh, Donna, can you hear me tonight? Yes. Hey, Dr. Williams. Hello, Susan. How are you? Good, Donna. Good. What's your thought? um, Well, it's my first time on your show, and I'm just really glad to hear you and to hear Susan. And one thing I wanted to share, um, I heard Susan talk about, and you said it, Dr. Williams, too, that the church has to get involved. And I wanted to just, you know, share a, a comment that, yes, it's, I believe it's all of our responsibility. You know, the, the era that we're in with the human trafficking, the homelessness, there is so much suffering around the world that that's who Jesus was. It's not just the church's responsibility. It's my responsibility to give money, to support in any way that I can to, you know, whether it's a human trafficking organization, um, you know, homelessness. And I know we're talking about human trafficking specifically, but I think we're just at a time where we're all called to be the answer and not say, you know, point to the church, point to an organization, point to the government. It's my responsibility to be like Jesus and alleviate the suffering of people's lives and support the sacredness of life in those people. Wow. I can tell by your voice and the tone of your voice, you're a believer. There's no doubt about that because I I hear grace and mercy in your voice. Susan, what do you think about that? Are we picking on the church or are you just saying, hey, this is the best opportunity to be able to make a difference is use what we already have organized? Yes. What I'm saying is this, is I'm educating the church on how to educate someone just like Donna on what she can do. So I'm in, equipping the church to be a leader because what I hear all the time is what can I do? People don't know what they can do. Mm-hmm. And giving money is great, but there's yes. a, a whole raft of things you can do other than that that people aren't even aware of. So the church can provide the the, gu- the guidance. 
And the, you know, the chapter on awareness event was awareness events that mobilize the community, not just have an awareness event, explain to people, given their walk of life, their skill set, what they personally can do. You know, I think it would be awesome. I've said this and hang with us, Donna. Don't, don't hang up on us yet. I think it would be awesome. I have advocated this ever since my days back in Illinois, when I was president of the school board, I would say, why can't we use the school during the day to teach our children and the school during our night to teach our parents and our community of how we can be a better community? So yeah. I, I think everybody, if we just say, hey, wait, we already have the building. We already have the facility. Exactly. We already have the access to these people. Let's invite everybody in and say, we have problems. How can we fix it? Uh, yes. Donna, Susan, what do you think about that? Donna, I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, I agree with everything that both of y'all are saying and what you're saying, Susan. So I agree 100% that to mobilize the church to get the church to be aware, to bring people to awareness that we are responsible. We're yes. responsible for the sacredness of life in every human being. Yes. And no, I, I totally, and that's been part of my heart for a long time. I've, I've been in ministry myself, um, ministering through music and message as a singer and speaker for many years. And I've gone through my own struggles and I've seen where, you know, the church serves such a purpose in our community, but the times we're in now, it's calling for us to dig deeper. It's calling yeah. for us to really be like Jesus, and Jesus went to the suffering. So where am yes. I going in alleviating the suffering? Where is everybody else in the communicating, giving to, whether it's volunteering, money, like you said, organization, whatever skills? What are each of us doing to alleviate the suffering, the pain of people in our community, because it's not just helping a person, it's helping Christ within them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If we, we are caring about the Holy Spirit within each and every person. And I believe that's the ultimate lesson that we are here to support the Holy Spirit within each person. Absolutely. And back to how uh, Dr. Williams introduced this, when you're doing that and saying yes to God, you will be so energized. So many people are bored, have no sense of purpose. You give them a purpose and they will be energized. People can't believe I'm 70. I mean, I have more energy than 30-year-olds because I have passion. I said yes to God. And Jesus, it's clear in the Bible, Jesus wants us to be that. Yes. And, you know, I think churches for years, we moved our church from Houston to a, an outside community in Pearland. And one of the things I mentioned to our people, I said, you know, churches are famous for saying, hey, come to us and give us your money. I don't want to have a church like that anymore. I want to say, I want to come to your community and give the community something. And when we do, God will take care of all the material things and the finances. When we give out and make a difference in the community, everybody's blessed. Yes. Oh, oh, exactly. I mean, Dr. Williams, you just said it because I, yes, I have, you know, my heart's been ministering and singing and speaking to people, but I've also, I've been on many stages ministering, but I've also been homeless. Yeah. I know what it's like 
to go to uh, ministers and people in churches that I've ministered at. Like this was even after ministry, I I lost everything. And I would go to these churches and they weren't there. And I'm like, okay, I am, I'm being, I'm in this situation for my own lesson, but also to see where truth is and where it's not, because we are called to be givers. And like you just said, when we're giving out and we're taking care, we're going to be given back. And Absolutely. so the lesson is to give and to help people, not just to show up and sing worship and praise. And, oh, my church is so wonderful. Bye. Yeah, good point. Donna, thank you for calling. Thank you for listening. Be the first time listener tonight. Uh, join us each week. We'd love to have you. Anytime you want to call or need something, let us know. Bless you. Y'all and Austin is the second most beautiful city in the in the country. <laughs> Houston, number one. We'll let Austin have number two. <laughs> thank right. you, Donna. Thank Appreciate you. it. Good, good speaking with you. Susan, when it comes to protecting, like Donna just mentioned, giving it back to the community, how do we protect our youth today? What's the best way we can protect our kids, our most valuable treasure? How do we do that? What I do is um, I've done, uh, I put together two presentations, one for parents and one for teens. And in my book, I have resources for little children. Um, But I put together two presentations and I've enrolled, I call youth pastors, pastors are busy and offer to come speak to the parents and to the teens if they get them together. And uh, that's worked really, really well. I mean, so far I've spoken my group because I've trained speakers. And this is the other thing too, Donna mentioned, for those who know how to speak in front of groups, I'm having a speaker's training in April. And if you want to know about our events and my resources, you should go to my website, which is www.throughgodsgrace.com. Now, there's a lot of through God's graces, by the way, on the internet. So you need to put through God's grace, comma, human trafficking, if you're going to find it. And I have that event. I have other events. So, um, yeah, we need to. And churches, that's another thing churches have. They have lots of kids and they have lots of parents. And if the pastor says, I think it's important that all the parents come, they will come. And every time I've done it for parents, they turn around to the staff member of the room and say, when are you going to do this for our kids? Because they get like, you know, the light comes on. I remember one woman, I was talking about sexting, which is the new way of flirting, which is sending sexy pictures, partially nude pictures, because you get more likes. If you're on Instagram, the more nudity you have. And she went out and talked to her son on the break and said, have you ever heard of this? He goes, yeah, mom, everybody's doing it. And she's like, oh my God, I'm clueless. And, you know, you can't protect your children if you're clueless. So, yeah, churches can do that. Very easy to do. Their youth groups are already meeting. Easy to do, you know, talk to them. Most most churches I know are talking to their youth groups in some way. Not necessarily about sextortion because this is new. But not a whole lot are really going after the parents. Not in a big way. What about schools? Uh, how how involved is your organization or there are organizations that are out there that really do a good job? Uh, is that something that we could probably be better at in our community schools? Yes. too? Yeah. Three strands global. I think I can't, I'm pretty sure that's the name they're going into schools. They're doing a great job, at least uh, in Southern California. They have a great, lots of nonprofits are going into schools. Um, What really makes a difference is when the state passes a resolution like we did in California, 
where human trafficking, um, domestic violence, and rape awareness has to be taught once at the junior high level and twice at the high school level. It's not enough, but it's a good start. Yeah. These when you, when you mandate that, it makes a difference. They yes. don't overlook it. Yes. Yeah, then when you... Right. Yeah, the schedule gets too packed and they push yeah. it off to the side. Oh, we got other more important things, testing or something like that. Exactly. Uh, when this is really, really uh, important. In uh, chapter eight, you mentioned the groups that are most vulnerable. Yes. Who are the most vulnerable? And you just want to bullet point just, those. I'll just staff. mention a few is foster children. 70% of the victims are from the yeah. foster care system. And if there's any entity that could, empty the foster system is the church, 370,000 churches, 425,000 foster children. Why do we still have this problem? You know, if the church was effective, and I talk about how to be effective, homeless youth. So yeah. if they don't, these foster youth don't become part of a family, um, half of them when they age out become homeless. One out of five homeless youth become a victim of human trafficking. So we need, so all our homeless ministries, we need to really reach out to, especially the youth and have all the resources in our community available so they know where they can get help. And if they're minors, we need to call social services. They will beg you not to, but you need to do it anyway, because being on the street, honestly, the traffickers know where they're hanging out and they know no one's going to call and try to find them. Even if they have a parent, they don't know where they are. So they get to get away with, you know, taking them. There are predators that, you know, find them, take them home, sadistic people. I mean, it is really scary. So, yeah. you know, that's another extremely vulnerable group that we should pay attention to. And stand up for kids. I recruit volunteers for them. They go out to the malls where the homeless kids are. They tell their volunteers where these homeless kids are. Everyone knows where they are who works on this. And the volunteers go out and they bring them in. And they they have all these organizations that will go in medical care, dental care. They help them. They get them back in school. They get them into shelters. They help them. Uh, so does Covenant House. So, you know, these are organizations that, you know, are critical because of how vulnerable these children are. Okay. And, of course, um, immigrants are a percentage of this. Uh, yes. But not, because... not the majority that we think they are. I agree with you on that. <laughs> The immigrants, because if they're here illegally, they can't get a job. So the human traffickers come up to them and say, I have a job for you. Come yeah. with me. And then they force them into human trafficking, even the ones who weren't necessarily brought across the border. They're on farms in the Midwest that they labor trafficking big time. The boys are all, you know, they get uh, thrown into labor trafficking. Yeah. We only have another about a couple minutes. Um I wanted to get to more chapters. I'm, I'm scanning down on chapter 10. You had the do's and don'ts when working with survivors. Um, what What's some quick things that you sure. don't want to do when you're working with a survivor? Sure. Well, one of the things you need to be trauma-informed, which is why I'm having an yes. event in a couple of weeks about becoming a trauma-informed church, because <clears throat> what one of the biggest mistakes people make is this. We're curious. Human beings are curious. So we find out that someone's a survivor of sex trafficking and we ask them what it was like. Well, in telling their story, they're going to get triggered and upset with all these memories. They're already having nightmares, by the way. They have PTSD 
And we're asking these questions. So, you know, you don't want to be curious and ask questions. You want to not be judgmental. If they start talking, they're going to share about truly dumb decisions they made or th- or other things they did. And you're going to be horrified. And you have to manage your resting face, as they call it. Because if you're acting horrified, they're going to feel judged. And yeah. they're going to be out of there because they are hyper vigilant about being judged. Yeah. Before before I get the countdown here, I want to make sure if people want to get in touch with you, and I highly recommend every one of your events. I highly recommend. And, you know, at an event yesterday, I did it right from here on this computer from my home. I didn't have to travel. It didn't cost me anything. It was great. A men's event. It was wonderful. If they want to get in touch with you, more about your website. And if you have your book, hold it up. Uh, I don't know if you have one in front of you. How How can they get in touch with you? Um, best ways through my website and okay. uh, you know, they don't necessarily need to get in touch with me. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to answer hundreds and hundreds of emails, right. but they can use my resources. And then what I have is once they've used the resource, like the book, um, they've read the book. Then I have work groups for people. I did one, uh, 17 people showed up from 16 different churches from 15 different States. And we talked about, what the church could do, what's working and not working. And it was so energizing to these people to meet other people because of the one to 2% of churches that are doing something, they feel so isolated. So yeah. I will send you an invite. You'll get on my notification list once a month. I'll tell you what we're doing and you can come. And I do Zoom events where you talk to the speakers directly. They're not webinars. And we interact and we have discussions and people come away just energized. And their quality. Uh, I was thrilled. Those two speakers yesterday were such top-notch speakers that I want to have them. I, I can see them and you and, and me having an event with us four uh, yeah. that would rock this world at our church. Uh, yes. They're such quality people. Yes, my speakers are world-class because I've been doing this for 11 years, and I know the best of the best. And with Zoom, you can get the best of the best to speak at your events without this huge expense, you know, of airfare and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, people are very impressed by the caliber of speakers I have at my events. Yeah, it's great. Susan, any last words you want to give before we go? We got about 30 seconds before we need to start. Yeah, I just, I just want to give my website again, which is www.throughgodsgrace.com, where you can find the book, the links to get the book, everything else like that. And uh, the last thing I want to leave people with is this, is if you feel that God has touched your heart, just get educated by re- the role of the church is $5. The ebook's 99 cents. I mean, I priced it that way so that people didn't have to give it a second thought. You know what I mean? They could just do it. And it's simple. So the last thing I want to leave people with is get educated and wherever God has put on your heart to say yes to God and you will never regret it. You will be turned on, passionate, happy, and be someone who's making a difference, which is why God puts you on this earth. Fantastic. Susan, thank you so much. Looking forward to being with some events that you're doing in the future. And it's awesome to the work you're doing. And I recommend everybody to get a hold of your books. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for this opportunity. You are the best. There you go. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate that. As we all do right. each and every uh, week, I always like to end this. First of all, I want to say, Donna, thank you for calling in. Thank you for listening. And I hope you become a regular listener. Uh, and Susan, for sharing. But no matter what position you're in right now, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what is going on outside of your windows, as I'm looking right down at the streets of NRG, stadium where the Texans play um, and what horrific things are happening in this neighborhood. I want to let you know, and I hate to burst your bubble, but there's hope. There's still hope. Uh, no matter what you're thinking that this, all oh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, Greg, what are you talking about? No, it's not. We can change that direction just like that. If we unify and we believe and we join forces and we start making an orchestrated, orchestrated approach to handling and eliminating this problem. I believe it can happen with people like Susan, with the experts that she has, with shows like this, but most important, with people like you. Ordinary people can do extraordinary things if we look to God to fill the tank and say, what direction? should I take and let him lead and it can happen. So never give up on hope folks. It's there for you. And it has to be there for our kids, for the future of our country, for the future of our families. Isn't it worth it? I know it is. And I know you believe that too. Join us right here next week, live from Houston for another edition of Breaking the Silence. God bless you. Have an awesome week and get involved and get Susan's book now. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next week. Take care. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.